Welcome back to Night Falls, the bedtime show of classic and original stories designed to guide you into a calm and peaceful sleep. I'm Jeffrey, and in tonight's story, we'll return to Inglewood Bay on a special occasion, as Sherlock is heading out to celebrate the birthday of his friend, Mrs. Hooper. Unfortunately, the party is disturbed by the disappearance of a special painting, most beloved by Mrs. Hooper and her family. Luckily, our retired detective is present and sure to put the case to rights. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors who keep this free content possible. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For the best way to fall asleep with night falls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalog of night falls classics all with a rich, immersive, and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Sherlock Holmes ambled along the promenade of Inglewood Bay, the small seaside town where he had been enjoying his retirement for some time now. It was a March evening and a little chilly, but still rather delightful in spite of the breeze coming off the sea. The sun, which hung low in the pale sky, had turned the water the colour of burnished bronze save for the white caps that foamed and fell away in a steady rhythm. Sherlock inhaled deeply and sighed a sigh of pleasure, tasting the salt on the air and hearing the sound of shingle crunching beneath the feet of the children playing on the beach. He was strolling slowly, for he had plenty of time, 
Besides, it was ruder to arrive at a party earlier than expected than it was to turn up late. The party in question was the 70th birthday celebration of one Mrs. Hooper, a woman who lived on the edge of the town in a beautiful Georgian house. Sherlock had met her over a year ago when he was taking one of his exploratory forays into the outskirts of the town and had come across the red brick manor with its sash windows and adjoining greenhouse. Mrs. Hooper, who had been within, tending to her tomato plants, had waved at Sherlock and met his inquiries about the house with the generous offer of a tour. Since then, they had become, as they say, fast friends and Mrs. Hooper had expressed her considerable excitement at introducing Sherlock that evening to her daughter. Sherlock had already met her son, a polite fellow named James, who walked with a slight limp, who had moved in with his mother when his father passed away several years before. When Sherlock arrived at the house, only a minute or two after the time requested on the invitation, dusk was beginning to settle. The sky had turned a deeper hue of blue, and the clouds were streaks of purple and gold. Sherlock wiped the creases from the front of his shirt and knocked on the door, looking rather forward to an evening of relaxation and merrymaking and splendid company. The door was opened by a woman of around 40 with a dark bob and bright, glittering eyes. She bore a striking resemblance to her mother. You must be Maggie, Sherlock said, taking her hand. And you must be Sherlock. I've heard so many terrific things about you from my mother. It truly is a pleasure. Please, come in. Mum is in the living room, entertaining her guests. Sherlock followed Maggie into a large, wood-panelled room with paintings on the walls, a dark green Chesterton sofa, and a number of richly upholstered armchairs. Beneath the mantel, a fire was crackling pleasantly and every now and then it gave a small pop and released a flurry of sparkling embers. The guests were all here. Sherlock shook hands with James and said hello to Mrs. Hooper's next-door neighbour, Mrs. Peniston. He was introduced to an elderly gentleman, Mr. Knight, who walked with an ornate walnut walking stick, and his son, and also to Mrs. Hooper's oldest friend from her early years, a glamorous woman with a long sheet of fine silver hair. Good evening, she said, taking his hand. Daphne Umber. Pleasure to meet you, Sherlock replied, bowing his head a fraction. At last he came to Mrs. Hooper, whom he kissed on the cheek and wished a happy birthday. From his inside pocket, he withdrew a card, sealed in a plain white envelope, which he handed to her. Oh, thank you, Sherlock, Mrs. Hooper said, smiling at him. 
but in her eyes, Sherlock could see a shadow moving. His time as a detective might have been behind him, but those long years spent studying people, considering at great length the complexities of motive, desire, and opportunity, had left him with an acute sensitivity to the moods of others, the secrets they were guarding, the feelings they were trying to hide. And he could tell with just one glance that on this, her 70th birthday, something was troubling Mrs. Hooper. Is everything quite all right? He asked her quietly. Well, now that you mention it, Mrs. Hooper began, I'm rather glad you've arrived. She slipped her arm through his, and together they walked casually enough to the other side of the room where they would be out of earshot from the others. There, Mrs. Hooper explained that she had, just a few minutes before, been upstairs to a guest room where she stored some of the crystalware and had discovered that a cupboard door was ajar. Inspecting within, she had found that a rolled-up painting had gone missing. The painting, of a young woman clutching a russet ermine to her chest, was a treasured family heirloom, painted by a famous artist, which her own grandfather had bought for her grandmother many decades before. And the thing is, Sherlock, Mrs. Hooper said, I saw it in there only this morning, which means that someone here has taken it. I've asked Maggie and James, and they know nothing about it, which means that it must be one of my guests. But I can't ask anyone, because that would be so terribly, terribly rude. So, Sherlock, she finished up, I was wondering if you'd be able to help me. Sherlock was already scanning his eyes across the room at the faces, young and old, engaged in conversation, seated on the furniture and sipping from glasses of wine. He had been looking forward to enjoying a relaxing evening, and yet already he could feel his instincts for detection had been piqued, a low, vibratory hum in his brain that told him that he was hooked. He wouldn't be able to let this one go without working on it. Leave it with me, Mrs. Hooper, he said. I'll see what I can do. Mrs. Hooper's eyes lit up with gratitude, and Sherlock told her that first he would need to know a little more about the guests. Did any of them know about the existence of the painting, for instance? And did she know of any reason any of them might have for taking it? Oh, Mrs. Hooper said, worry lines appearing around her eyes. Well, they all knew about it, of course. It used to hang, pride of place above the fire there. But its frame became heat damaged, and so we had to take it down. You know, she said, lifting a finger into the air as though a thought struck her. Mr. Knight, the man with the walking stick, always used to make me offers for it. Not that I ever wanted to part with it. Oh, it's far too dear to me for that. But anyway, well, that's probably nothing. But Sherlock knew 
that while most things were indeed nothing, some things, in the end, always had to be something. And so he stowed this piece of information about Mr. Knight away in a corner of his mind, where he could easily find it later, should it come in useful. Now, Mrs. Hooper, Sherlock said, may I take a look at the, um, the scene of the crime, so to speak? Why, of course, she said, and gave him directions to a bedroom on the first floor. I'll distract everybody with some canapes before dinner. And with that, Mrs. Hooper turned to her guests, smiling and waving her arms in a broad arc with magisterial congeniality saying that she was sure they all must be feeling peckish and need their wine glasses topping up too. A consummate actress, Sherlock thought fondly of his friend, before slipping out into the hallway and climbing the stairs. He followed the directions given by Mrs. Hooper, walked down a cream-coloured landing with many doors, until he came to one at the end, which he opened and entered. The guest room had evidently not been used as a bedroom in some time. The bed was unmade, and there were boxes piled in the corner. In a large glass-fronted mahogany display cabinet, dozens of crystal glasses twinkled in the light that spilled into the room. And there, beside it, was the cupboard to which Mrs. Hooper had referred. Sherlock opened it, inspected it, shut it, and peered around the room. He walked from the cupboard to the door, then he walked from the door to the bed. From bedside, from beside the bed, he lifted a hand as though to measure the distance from the cupboard, murmured, Hmm, to himself, and then opened the cupboard once more. Feeling that he had learnt all he could from the room, he went to leave, but just as he placed his hand on the doorknob to pull it shut behind him, Sherlock noticed something lying on the floor behind the door. He paused and knelt down to look at it, It was a pale green and white scarf, made, it seemed, of silk chiffon and decorated with fruit, oranges and lemons and grapevines. Of course, the scarf may simply belong to Mrs. Hooper, but something about the way it was lying there, and he could not, if pushed, have said what, made Sherlock's sixth sense tingle. He folded the scarf and tucked it into the inside of his jacket pocket before closing the door of the guest room behind him. Downstairs, the other guests had finished the canapes in the living room and were waiting to be called through to the dining room for dinner. Sherlock had someone he wanted to speak with first, so when he re-entered the room, he took a glass of red wine from the tray had a sip for courage's sake, and ambled over to where Mr. Knight was seated with his son and the woman with the long silver hair, Daphne Umber. Having introduced himself again, shaken their hands, 
and said what a pleasure it was to meet them. Sherlock fell into easy conversation with them on the subject of golf. Mr. Knight was a keen golfer before his hip had gone and his son had taken over his mantle. Sherlock, who had taken up the sport recently himself, passed out his recommendations on the best links in the area. Finally, he turned to the fireplace and, as if only just now realising that there was no painting above it, said, Now then, it looks like something used to hang there. You can see from where the wallpaper has been bleached by the sun. I wonder what was there and why it isn't any longer. Mr. Knight looked up at the mark on the wall, ran his thumb over the polished metal of his walking stick and leaned in to Sherlock collusively. Why, yes, he said, nodding. Through his spectacles, Sherlock could see the man's dark eyes twinkling. I wonder just the same. In that space once hung the most spectacular portrait of a young woman with an ermine. Oh gosh, Daphne Umber interjected. That hideous thing. I never did understand why it was up there. Mr. Knight looked at her with an appalled look on her face. That hideous thing, he repeated. That painting has more mysterious charm than the Mona Lisa, believe you me. I've no idea where it's gone, but if I did, I'd jolly well like to get my hands on it. I've been asking Rebecca for that painting for years and years. And then, Mr. Knight went on describing the painting and the artist's great talent, the ingenious use of brushwork, the unexpected choices in light and shade, while all the while Daphne Umber shook her head in disagreement until Mrs. Hooper entered the room and announced that dinner was served and would they all like to move through. At the doorway to the dining room, Sherlock touched Mrs. Hooper's elbow and withdrew the folded scarf from his inside pocket. Does this scarf belong to you? He asked her. Oh, no, she said, touching the silk chiffon. It isn't mine, but of course I do recognize it. This scarf belongs to my darling friend Daphne. Mrs. Hooper looked at him with wide eyes. Why do you ask? She said. Where did you find it? Does this have something to do with my painting? He assured her that she shouldn't worry and followed her into the dining room where a long table was laid with china and silverware. Candelabras formed a line down the centre of the table, their flames flickering in the still air. Sherlock took his seat and soon enough a rack of beef was brought out, along with steaming dishes of potatoes and vegetables and jugs of rich gravy. His plate was filled and his wine glass replenished, and convivial chatter struck up all around him, but Sherlock himself was distracted. He was, he had to admit, highly perplexed, conversation with Mr. Knight had not unfolded as he'd anticipated. 
The man barely blinked when he'd mentioned the painting, and had no qualms expressing his appreciation of it and how much he coveted it. Certainly not the kind of behavior one would expect from a man who had actually taken the item in question. Unless, of course, it was a double bluff. And then, there was the matter of the scarf. With every fiber of his being, Sherlock had believed Daphne Umber when she'd said how much she disliked the painting. And yet it turned out that it was her scarf that was found at the scene of the crime. Could she really have been dissimulating so gracefully? And what, besides, would have been her motive for taking a family heirloom belonging to her best friend? For a moment, Sherlock's mind conjured a vision of clandestine lovers, Mr. Knight and Daphne Umber, colluding to steal the painting of the girl with the ermine. But then, just as quickly, he dismissed it, for the two barely seemed to know each other. But then again, if not one of them, then who? At the other end of the table, Daphne rose and excused herself. Sherlock waited a few moments before folding his napkin, and then he too left the room. He found her out in the hallway. Mr. Holmes, she said in a melodious voice, and he smiled at her. Mrs. Umber, he said, taking out the scarf. May I ask you, does this belong to you? Why, yes, she said, her fingers going to her lips. It does. But where did you find it? But Sherlock was an old hand, and he was not going to divulge such crucial information so readily. I'd rather you tell me, he said, where it was you last saw it. He studied her face as she answered, looking for the telltale signs of guilt, the flicker of the eyes, the twitch of the mouth, the evidence of the concentration needed to summon up a lie. But he saw none. Instead, she said, Well, I lent it to Maggie earlier today, because it went so well with her outfit. But why do you have it now? Where did you find it? Like the sun rising over the sea and lighting up the water and the white caps, understanding dawned on Sherlock Holmes. He shook his head with wonder, then smiled reassuringly at Daphne Umber, who looked troubled. He handed her back her scarf and told her that Maggie must have dropped it somewhere, but it was of no matter, for it was found. Back at the table, finishing dinner, Sherlock surreptitiously watched Mrs. Hooper's daughter, the bright-faced woman who had opened the door to him earlier that evening. Mrs. Hooper had said that her children had no idea where the painting had gone, and Sherlock had made the foolish mistake of disregarding them both immediately, assuming that foul play, if it had occurred, must originate from without, not within. What a basic error, he thought, 
shaking his head. He must be getting old. After dessert, returning to the sitting room, Sherlock caught Maggie Hooper and asked her if he might have a word. Of course, she said with a dazzling smile. What can I help you with? I believe, said Sherlock, feeling his heart beating a little faster at the approach of an accusation, that you have taken something that doesn't belong to you, something of your mother's. Maggie's eyes widened with surprise. Then she sighed. One moment, she said, and over her shoulder she called out for her brother. James stuck his head out of the living room and stepped over to join them. James, Maggie said, I'm afraid that we've been rumbled. Oh dear, said James with a quick smile. Has Mr. Holmes discovered that it was us who took the painting? Goodness, we'd have got clean away with it if Mum hadn't had a professional over for dinner. Maggie gave a tinkling laugh. I know, she said. Just our luck. She shook her head and looked at Sherlock. Mr. Holmes, she said. That painting is our mother's favourite and it's been off the wall for almost a year now. But as a birthday surprise, we've had a new frame made so that it can be returned to its position above the fireplace. In order for it to be a surprise, though, we had to engage in a little subterfuge and spring the painting from that cupboard upstairs without our mother's knowing. Unfortunately, James added, it seems to have all gone wrong. Sherlock was looking from the brother to the sister in happy surprise. Of course there had been no foul play, no nefarious business. There was no dastardly thief on the loose. It was simply a birthday surprise. A loving gift from two children to their seventy-year-old mother. Maggie was looking at him imploringly now with those glittering eyes. Sherlock, she said, could we ask you to be in on it with us, just for a bit, so you won't spoil our surprise? We're about to reveal it ourselves any moment. Of course, he would not ruin their surprise, he told them. I'll come onto the side of the thieves for a while, he said with a little chuckle. And so, Sherlock Holmes followed Maggie and James back into the living room and sat on the settee speaking with Daphne Umber and pretending, for all the world, like nothing was afoot. And when Mrs. Hooper's children stood up and told their mother they had a special birthday surprise in store for her, he did his best to maintain his best poker face, not to let the corners of his mouth twitch upwards into a smile. And when the painting was wheeled in, newly fitted into a beautiful wooden frame, Mrs. Hooper clapped her hands to her mouth and threw her arms around her children one by one. And when she turned to Sherlock 
and asked him if he too had been in on it the whole time. He finally allowed himself a little smile and shook his head and gave his friend another kiss on the cheek and told her, no, it was the children. The whole affair was entirely their own.